Warning, this podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. And welcome back to another Stabby Snippets here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Tara, and as always, I'm joined with my favorite school friend, Jessica. Hello. Hello, hello. And today I am bringing you a case that was a listener-requested story. I'm going to be talking about the Ashley Ouellette missing persons case. It's not one that's current, but it is a cold case. So Ashley was a 15-year-old girl from Saco, Maine, and she attended Thornton Academy. Her parents are Bob and Lise Ouellette, and those who knew her described her as a loving person and just a typical teen. She kept herself out of trouble for the most part. She had a couple rough patches growing up, but nothing too, too insane. The only conflict she had with her parents was that she thought that they were too strict sometimes, but nothing major really. On February 9th of 1999, Ashley asked her parents if she could stay the night at her friend's house. It was a school night, but Lise thought that since things were going well with Ashley and she was starting to behave and things like that, that it wouldn't be a big deal, especially because this friend lived down the road. And then she could just go to school with her the next morning. Sadly, this would be the last time that her parents would see her alive. The night started out pretty normal, though. Ashley even called to tell them goodnight and talk to them for a little bit around 10 p.m. Lisa asked the girls what they were up to, and Ashley had just said that they had been painting their nails and they were going to get ready for bed soon. And shortly after that, they just exchanged I love yous and ended the call. But, of course, in true teen fashion, that's not exactly what was going on in the home. There was a sleepover, but it had developed into a bit of a party. There was extra kids there and things like that. After a while, the girls decided they were going to go over to a friend's house, uh, fellow classmates Daniel and Stephen Sanborn. It was also known by everybody that Ashley had a crush on Stephen, so that could have also have been why they had decided to go over there. The girls were given a ride by a friend named Jason, a.k.a. Jay Carney, and that's a name to kind of put in your pocket for later. It was getting late, so the girls decided that it was time to go home since they did have school the next morning, and Ashley decided she was going to stay the night there. Now, exactly what happens next is still in question even now in 2020, and we have conflicting thoughts. So according to the Sanborns, which includes both boys and their parents, Mural and Earl, Ashley had told them that she had been kicked out of her house and needed a place to stay the night. Mural agreed and said that you could stay here for tonight, but that's it. So she made her up a bed on the couch down in the basement where the two boys' rooms also were at. From my understanding, it was a basement area, and then the boys' rooms kind of connected to that. So everything's down in the second level. And this was about 12, 12.30 a.m. After this, Mural said she went to bed, and then that was that. It's noted that Stephen says, even to this day, that he was asleep the whole night, so he didn't have any interactions or any contact with Ashley at all. The next morning, the Sanborns said they woke up about 6 a.m. and they noticed Ashley was gone. They had assumed she had left because it was a school day, didn't think anything of it. 
Lise, on the other hand, thinks that the boys had something to do with Ashley's disappearance and death, though. More specifically, Daniel, and I'll get more into that in a minute. So, sadly, at 4 a.m., to kind of backtrack, a man was driving down Pine Point Road in Scarborough, Maine. It's just a little town that's about 10 or so miles away. Now, in this area, and I'm familiar because I actually went to college in this area, and there's a bunch of teeny, teeny little towns that are like, literally, you just drive up the road and you hit little towns. It's kind of like back home, how you just hit small little towns like every couple miles. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. So it's not like very far. So in Scarborough, 10 miles from the Sanborns house and where everybody else lived, he would come across Ashley's body on the side of the road. Some said on the side of the road, some reports said in the middle of the road. Either way, she was dumped on Pine Point Road. He reported to the police that her body was still warm, but she was lifeless and she also looked blue. He had also noted that she had blood by her nose and mouth. And later, police would confirm that along with all of that, her neck was broken and her cause of death would be strangulation. I don't know how if she had her ID on her or exactly what, but Ashley's parents eventually would be contacted to come down to the police station. And once they got there, the police had a photograph for them so they could, you know, officially ID her. Bob would end up being the only one to actually look at it since Lee said she just couldn't. You know, she was just like, no, if it was her, I didn't want to see her like that. I did not want my last memory of her to be that. But sadly, it was her. But now to kind of circle back on Lisa's theory that Daniel or somebody in the Sanborn family was the one responsible for her death isn't really like a super far off idea because the police were kind of thinking the same thing, too. So at this point, once they figured out that that was the last place she was seen alive, they ended up getting a search warrant for the Sanborn home and also for Daniel's car. And during their search, they found spots of blood in the kitchen. They found evidence of sexual activity, including semen, in the home. And then in Daniel's car, they also found patches of dry brown grass that was similar to what was found on Ashley's body. And firearms were also found in the home in the kids' rooms. And it was thought by many people that knew them that the kids were the ones who really kind of, quote, ran the house. Kind of these kids and their, like, higher teens, they ran with tough crowds. So they pretty much did what they wanted, basically. Lise theorized that Ashley had been killed in the home and then they just went and dumped her body on Pine Point Road because they didn't really know what to do with her and they wanted to get rid of her. Also to note, because of that sexual contact and then Daniel's record, which included assault on a police officer and an unlawful possession with intent to distribute drugs, which was heroin, that's why many people think it's him specifically. Heroin. That's not like pot. And <laughs> like, and you think about like how much is it to like, I don't know these things because I don't hang with drug dealers. Right. So I don't and I don't mean that in like a like I do mean that in a bad way, but I don't mean it in a bad way. Like I'd be like, oh, my God, drug dealers. Ew. It's not what I mean. Mm-hmm. I just don't hang out with drug dealers. So I don't know what the level of like intent to sell means. Yeah, it's obviously a bigger amount <laughs> right. Stereotypic for me. It's like when I think of like intent to sell, I think of like the movie White Castle with the hippie nerd at Princeton with the big <laughs> gallon <laughs> bag of weed. That's what I think. Right. Right. Now, we've already kind of got a laundry list of people in this story, but we have another key person to introduce. 
This person, his name was Tony Torres. He was the opposite-ish of the Sanborns. He was popular. He was well-liked. He was athletic. He had actually just graduated and moved to Boston to go to college, and he was majoring in business, and he had a minor in Spanish. If you look at his pictures and stuff, he kind of looks like a clean-cut guy for the most part, you know, and in the 90s, you know, you can kind of picture it with like a polo and stuff like that. He did like to party, though, and allegedly was involved with drugs as well. So it did put him sort of in the same circles as the Sanborns. Well, he had come home for Mother's Day weekend because he did have a good relationship with his parents. In the sources, there's a true crime daily. There's a three-part docu-series thing you can watch, and they talk to his parents. So he was home visiting his mom. This was the same year that Ashley had died. They were sitting there watching TV together, and of course, a news story had popped up about her story. And Tony turns to his dad and says, I know the people who killed her. And his father responded he either needed to go to the police about it or he needed to keep his mouth shut. That he needed to be careful about who he was sharing this kind of information with if he really knew who did it. That's horrible advice. It is. But in that same little interview thing I was just talking about, Mm -hmm. Mr. Torres does say he does regret so, so much not, you know, grabbing him by the collar and just dragging him to the police station right there and being like, you need to fucking tell them who you think fucking did this if you really do know something. That makes sense. And to add more to it, this same weekend, Tony would go missing too. Oh, wow. Yeah. So during that weekend, he ended up going to a party at his ex-girlfriend's house. In an interview, they referred to her as Brandy. While at the party at around 2 a.m., Tony and another kid go to a corner store called The Whistle Stopper. And that kid he had left with was Jay Carney, the same person who gave Ashley a ride to the Sanborn house. Told you to keep that name in mind. The store was essentially a two-minute trip, as in a two-minute walk. So people thought it was weird that, first of all, that they had driven and that they were gone for a decent amount of time. Jay would end up coming back to the party, but Tony wasn't with him. And it was just a small house party, so of course it would be noticed that he wasn't there. And Brandy had asked him, you know, where was he at? So Jay had said that Tony was picked up by someone in a red truck. And Jay was also described to have come back in a totally different behavior than when he was first at the party. He had came back, he was restless, he was nervous, he was just not himself. And then also something weird was that the bottom of his jeans were wet. And that's weird because it wasn't raining, so it was just a weird observation on top of his behavior. Makes sense. And sadly, Tony would never be found, and he was pronounced dead in 2004, even without his body. His parents and the Ouellettes believe that there was a connection with Tony and Ashley, that maybe he really did know who killed Ashley, and considering who he was surrounding himself with, that this wasn't taken lightly. Like we talked about in the downtown posse, when this kind of stuff happens with dangerous people, they consider them to be loose ends and just things that need to be taken care of. So they think this is something that happened to Tony. Whether it's true or not, we don't know. Um, And sadly, we won't know because Jay has also passed away. He died in 2015 from a drug overdose. I mean... I don't know, like, how bad a karma a person has to have to blurt out the words, 
I know who killed Ashley and then go missing himself and it not be related. It's it's more than a coincidence, right? It's totally related. I think that, like you said, like in the downtown posse, and I think it's with all crimes with murder involved. It's like the end result of being caught is either death. I don't know if Maine is the death penalty state or not, but it's either death, like you get the death penalty or you end up with life in prison, which is to me like, I don't understand why people kill people. I mean, I I get like in the heat of the moment, kill people like, I mean, I'm not condoning it. I want to say that. Mm -hmm. But like, I get like that rage. You're like, ah, stab. Oh, shit. But I don't get this whole like kill a person and then start killing people. And I've also seen John Wick. So I'm not killing anything because, you know, (laughs) you don't know who's on the other side of that. Yeah. And the Sanborns to this day still stick to their story of their innocence. They also say that, of course, you know, that they don't think that Tony and Ashley's deaths are related, that rather Tony's was just drug related and unfortunate. It still sounds like they know something about it. Like, oh, no, it wasn't related to Ashley. It was related to drugs. I mean, I have no clue what it's related to. Well, that's the thing with Daniel's track record. It's pretty known. He's dealt with drugs. He's got a past and things like that. One of the reporters from the True Crime Daily thing actually went to the Sanborn's house and caught Stephen in the driveway. And he's just like, look, my brother's a felon. I'm not a felon. If I knew who knew, quote or not, quote, whichever side of this you're going to be on. He's like, if I knew who did this, I would just blow the whistle now or whatever the fuck he says. Mm -hmm. And the reporter asks him, even if it's your brother, and he's just like, Whoever it is, they deserve to fry, blah, blah, blah. And then (laughs) Mural is coming out of the house in her pajamas because she's like, what the hell's going on? And Steven says, he's going to get out of here. She's going to go crazy and call the cops. You need to get the fuck out of here if you know what's good for you. And, you know, that's kind of that. But, yeah, I have the feeling people probably know more than they're letting on, which is just sad because of how long ago this... This is older than me. So this is just ridiculous. And also... After the fact, the Ouellettes had tried to take things to court with the Sanborns with a wrongful death lawsuit since they weren't getting really anywhere in terms of murder charges or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But eventually, of course, that would be dropped due to a Chapter 7 bankruptcy that Mural and Earl had filed and did end up going through. Mm -hmm. Then, sadly, also, this whole story just has so much sad. Ashley's father, Bob, passed away from a heart attack at the age of 49 in 2001. So he passed away without any answers on his daughter. Mm. But Lise and the Torres family are still hopeful for answers. Even all of these years later, there was, in more recent years, a change of who's in charge of this case. So last year was the, you know, the anniversary. So they have been putting this out in the media a little more and as soon as this was sent to us when we took a request and I saw it was so old, I thought, you know, however we could help get the story out a little more, I absolutely wanted us to do it. Mm-hmm. But if anyone listening somehow, because we do have listeners in Maine, has information on either Ashley or Tony's cases, the Maine State Police is asking you to call them directly. And their phone number is 207-657-3030. And you can just refer to them there or you can head to their website as well. But it's just crazy that it's been so long and these families haven't had answers. And I 
I know our hearts go out to them and really hope that they can get justice for their kids. Yeah, I think that's ultimately our goal when we tell these cold cases is that we want we want to bring attention to them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can't even imagine what the families involved are going through and my heart aches for them. So Tara dropped the number. I'm sure she's going to put it in the show notes because mm-hmm. she always does. <laughs> so, yeah, if you know something, you know, not to not to quote the government, but if you see something, say something. <laughs> if you know something, say something. But our condolences to the families. And I just really want one of these cold cases that we talk about to get solved so that we can have like not a happy ending, but like a good ending for the family mm-hmm. so that they can know what happened and be able to process and move on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that is going to wrap us up here for this week's Stabby Snippet. We hope you guys are having a good day day and staying well. We will catch you on Monday for our next regular episode. Bye, guys. Bye. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out. And we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now.